The Start On Demand. On demand. If you had to work from home, would you be willing to let your boss install monitoring software to track what you're doing? Well, that kind of software, the demand for it is way up. So we'll speak with our friend Susie Urjavec-Parker from Sparker Strategy, who says, hell no. Canadian employers, meanwhile, are using thermal cameras and location tracking smartphone apps in the fight against COVID-19. We'll speak to Global's Jeff Semple about that. Bridge Drive-In opened on Friday. Closed on Sunday. We'll talk to the co-owner to find out just what happened and what led to the backlash. And we'll meet our grand prize winner for Wishing I Was Fishing, our contest that has a grand prize valued at over $6,000. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb, and this is the Monday, May 11th podcast for The Start. A popular ice cream joint in Winnipeg says it's closing its doors just days after reopening. Yeah, BDI, or of course Bridge Drive-In on Jubilee, was they were actually already six weeks behind schedule when they opened Friday. But like many businesses, they're eager to try and see if they can make something work under public health guidelines for social distancing. And so instead of asking customers to park and line up outside the shop like normal. It asked them to stay in their cars and then they would be served through their cars like the drive-thru. Hundreds of customers came, but as Mark Carcassol explains, so did many complaints. Bridge Drive-In opened up on Friday and asked people to stay in their cars instead of lining up outside of their ice cream shop, but they've already closed back up again after receiving backlash online. Some people on social media were frustrated by the long lines of cars waiting for their treats. On Twitter, some questioned why the city of Winnipeg wasn't getting involved and why the owners of BDI didn't ask people to socially distance outside the shop instead of staying in their cars. After two days of being open, the shop said they just decided to close up since their plan wasn't working out. On opening day, BDI told Global News they were concerned about the traffic line and said their only option would be to close if it didn't work. We were able to uh, keep up very well. We were able to you know, keep the traffic off Jubilee and, uh, and keep uh, the pace there. And you know, s- Saturday, not so much. Kind of, We had a gap of about two hours that we just couldn't keep up with the traffic that was coming in. And, uh, did our best, you know, I commend our staff. We, we moved things very quickly, but um, as we kind of got to six o'clock-ish, we just couldn't keep up. BDI says it will reevaluate and try to reopen to pedestrian traffic with social distancing measures in place. The city says it is working with the shop to find a solution. Pictures taken over the weekend and shared on social media showed lineups of cars running all the way down Jubilee to Pembina Highway with area residents like at Linz, L-I-N-Z-Z-Z, writing on Twitter, Hey, Bridge Drive-In, at City of Winnipeg. I like ice cream as much as the next person, but this drive through ice cream idea is blocking driveways and disrupting the neighborhood. Really hoping there isn't an endless lineup of idling cars in our neighborhood all summer. That wasn't the only complaint. In their statement, BDI said, due to the outpouring of negativity regarding the drive-through, effective immediately, we will shut down the Jubilee location. We will reevaluate and try to reopen to pedestrian traffic with social distancing measures in place, as well as decreased parking in our lot. They also pointed out in their statement, guys, that they wanted to say, quote, BDI has always been a family-run business, and we not only try to help the community, but use our platform to help other people as well. And during these uncertain times, everyone is just trying to do their best. And again, we're sorry if this plan affected your life in any negative way. So we've asked the city if there were any formal complaints actually made to the city, or if it was just this outpouring on social media, as BDI says, that caused them to change their mind and close their doors again. We've also asked the city if you know a permit would change things. Is this just a permit issue? And if they have one... Uh, can they go ahead? You know, were they officially shut down or just by choice? I have to say, I was I was mostly disappointed when I read that they shut down. I don't live in that neighborhood. I don't know what it'd be like to have those cars parked up and down. But it was just the first two days, and they were trying to make accommodations. And we know businesses are just like hurting so bad in these times, Greg. And so it seems to me that unless they were forced to close due to compliance issues, that's one thing. Could we not have just given them more than 48 hours before we got so mad about this? Well, that was my immediate reaction was, come on. Seriously, Winnipeg, is this the way we're going to react? This is a a business that for 
all I know has been nothing but popular uh, family run business. I don't have to recap everything that the owner said and uh, reminded us of, but you know, Jubilee in the summertime at the best of times uh, during rush hours is bumper to bumper traffic. We've had uh, all sorts of, of, traffic uh, issues on Jubilee for years uh, involving construction, whether it was on Furmore or on Pembina Highway itself. So, you know, that sort of thing I don't think is unusual for that part of the city. However, I do understand that if, if you live in particular on the south side of Jubilee where those cars lined up or were lining up in that curb lane and they're running, and I don't, I don't know if all the cars were running, idling seemed to be a lot of people's big, let's face it. There are hundreds of drive-throughs throughout Winnipeg where people do leave their vehicles idling and just because they're on private property, does that make it any healthier, any better for the environment? And uh, it's not unusual for Winnipegers to not respect side streets and driveways when they're in a traffic jam. And so maybe a little bit of consideration on that front would have gone a long way in helping this business stay open. Yeah, and we, we saw lineups throughout the city of Winnipeg over the past week at Superlube locations, for example. Uh, we had people texting us at 204-780-6868 saying it's lined up into the streets. When I drove by the Superlube on Regent on Saturday, the, the cars were way out. Like There were at least a dozen cars on Regent Avenue, never mind probably two dozen cars in the lot, because Superlube for the past week since they reopened, they've, they've had this awesome promotion where they were giving free oil changes and tire rotations to healthcare workers, which I think is fabulous. So uh, we had people reporting from Superlube locations all through the city that there were lineups sticking out into the street. And then uh, Brent Bellamy tweeting over the weekend, judging by the 45-minute drive-through lineup for a coffee at Starbucks, I don't think the world is ready for the anticipated post-COVID carpocalypse. I'm not sure which Starbucks location. Oh, it's by the Jollibee. So I guess this one's right uh, in our neck of the woods here. Uh, so, I mean, it's not unusual to see massive lineups. But it's it's hard to... I don't know what it would be like to live on Jubilee because anytime I go to Bridge Drive-In, even when there are when before the pandemic, it was always kind of chaos, right? And not just the the vehicular traffic trying to get into the neighborhood, but then all of the pedestrian traffic roaming through the neighborhood. So I've been curious to know what it would be like to live in that neighborhood, Mackling. Well, and I guess the other question, Loren, that's being asked this morning, was there actually a permit required for BDI to open a drive through Did they skip a step in the process here in reopening in this drive through fashion? Yeah, and it sounds like that there is a, a permit issue and that the conditional use permit would have been something that's required to make these changes. And so for sure, there's paperwork that they're going to have to apply for to reopen again. Maybe there's a bigger conversation about just, you know, doing something uh, better in that neighborhood when it comes to how it operates, period. If people have, you know, are these regular complaints beyond just this drive through situation? You mentioned all the people walking through there, Brett, and all the rest. I just, I just, the, my only thing was, you know, we wait, BDI opening is like the same with uh, Skinner's or uh, the golf courses. It's kind of like that sign of spring. This has been a, such an unusual spring. And then to go right from like, yay, like look at all the signs of some normalcy to, uh, <laughs> boo you. It just, that's the hard part I had with that. I was like, can we just take a breath for a second, people, and just see if we can come up with something before we get so critical. Hello? This is Frank Costanza. What do you want? You think you can keep us out of Florida? We're moving in lock, stock, and barrel. We're going to be in a pool. We're going to be in a clubhouse. We're going to be all over that shuffleboard court. And I dare you to keep me out! <laughs> oh, my God. Comedian Jerry Stiller. So good as that character, Frank Costanza. So good at everything he did. He has died at the age of 92. His son, Ben Stiller, 
says the actor died of natural causes in a tweet that he posted early today. Stiller began his career in the 50s as the partner of his wife, Anne Mira, and remained popular decades later with his featured roles on Seinfeld and King of Queens. So we wanted to have a conversation about famous families, whether it's a father-son duo, mother-daughter, mother-son, whatever, whether it's actors, musicians, sports. And uh, you know what? I I just want to start with you, Greg, because I heard uh, Fortier teeing it up off the air, and I'm kind of excited to see which direction you're going with this. Well, why don't you press play there, Mr. Forche? Ah, yes. Of course. Wallflowers. Of course. Front, mm-hmm. Frontman Jacob Dylan, of course, son of Bob Dylan. And, you know, that career I don't think necessarily took off the way a lot of people did when the Wallflowers came out in the in the in the 90s. But Jacob Dylan is a very gifted musician and uh, obviously his privilege (laughs) in terms of who he is and his last name paid off. As I mentioned earlier, there's a a film that I've been wanting uh, to to tout here. I finally have an opening to do so. It's called Echo in the Canyon. And it's about music of the birds, the Beach Boys, Buffalo Springfield, the Mamas and the Papas. And uh, Jacob Dylan is the host of this documentary incredible music from the late 1960s and some incredible performances with Fiona Apple, Beck, others. And uh, so if you like the the artists that I listed, and if you're a Neil Young fan, uh, Echo in the Canyon, it's on Netflix right now. Absolutely superb way to spend an hour and a half or so uh, if you've got the time. And, and like I said, if you like that kind of music. Jeff Braun is here. Kelly Moore is here. Jeff Forte. Jeff Braun. Oh, we don't have Jeff Braun. Okay, oh, let's uh, let's just go down the roll the decks next to Kelly Moore. Well, for me, it has to be the Kardashians. Oh, <laughs> Kelly is keeping up with the Kardashians. <laughs> Never. No, I, I I stuck with entertainment here. Although, if we were going to include sports, how could you not look at the Howe family uh, for the impact they've had on hockey? But uh, when it comes to uh, mothers and daughters, Goldie Hawn and Kate Hudson, I just love the both of them, and. And then uh, for uh, fathers and sons, uh, got to keep it in Canada, Donald and Kiefer Sutherland. Oh, of course. How did I forget that? Nicely done, Kelly Moore. And that's a tough one, too, because if you had to pick which one's your favorite, Donald Sutherland or Kiefer Sutherland, I don't know that I could make the choice. I mean, I guess I'd have yeah. to go Kiefer because I like Jack Bauer, but Donald Sutherland is just so cool in whatever he does. Yeah, you know, and and one of my favorite Donald Sutherland things doesn't have anything to do with the movies or a TV show. It's those commercials he does for Florida orange juice. I have never heard a (laughs) more perfect delivery of a commercial. (laughs) For what kind of orange juice? Florida orange juice. Oh, my God. Okay, I'm going to have to look that up. Hey, I understand Jeff Braun has has made his way in. Hello. Hi, Jeff. Hi. Who's your pick? Oh. My pick is how it all started. It's uh, Jerry and Ben Stiller because uh, usually when you have a father and son or a parent and a a kid, either way, one of them usually sort of outshines the other. But I think with the Stillers, it's pretty even. I mean, it's sort of different styles of comedy or whatever, but Ben Stiller and Jerry, so that's that's pretty even. That's uh, Apple falling directly off the tree to me, I think. I, I love them both, and they're both just hysterical. Yeah, super funny. I, I just I, I had such a good morning so far listening to all the watching all of those clips of uh, Frank Costanza, and I just did Frank Costanza. I didn't look at any of his stuff from The King of Queens or anything else that he's done in his career. What about you, Lauren McNabb? Well, not to mention even Zoolander. Like they actually father son did movies together because because the duos, the father son or mother daughter, don't always end up acting together. But there are examples too in that family where they did right, and so that's kind of neat to see them share the screen. Uh, I liked the Sutherlands. That was a good pick, just partly because of the Canadian angle that Kelly had. And then this isn't father son, but the siblings, the siblings that are out there that have done really great things. And so uh, like Venus and Serena Williams were oh. on my list just as family. And then the Stahl family, like a four brothers drafted in the NHL, like just an incredible, like what were they, what's in that drinking water in Thunder Bay, you know? So I, I don't know, there's really neat examples out there. And then you forget, you realize along the way, I, I hadn't realized till just a few years ago that Clint Eastwood's daughter was an actress and was in some films that I liked. And so it's, it's funny so, when you start looking how many family members there are out there. 
Eastwood has a son who's an actor as well. He was in the Fate, Fast and the Furious eight. <laughs> uh, I don't count. I don't count that. Then if he had made it in seven, sure, but eight, no. What about you, Jeff Forte? Um, at first I was gonna say Colin and Tom Hanks, and you can't forget about Chet. Uh, remember uh, Chet? Uh, what award show was he at? And he was. Golden Globes. Golden Globes, and he was talking with a Jamaican accent. And uh, but you know, I'm going to go with the Osbournes because I was watching. Oh. I was watching the first season of the Osbournes. The whole family: Jack Kelly, Sharon, and Ozzy. And it's just it was such a fun, such a fun uh, a show watching the real life. That was a fun show. It was just because like, it was one of the first of its kind, and it was just such a bizarre dysfunctional train wreck that turned his entire family into a you know a cast of characters so yeah and, and just circling back to the Dylans as well Greg one of the things that I liked about Jacob is you could actually understand what he was saying <laughs> yeah. while Fair. he was singing that's a really good point <laughs> he could actually sing no no I mean Bob Dylan of course is a tremendous musician but uh, hard to understand when he's saying Earlier, we discussed what measures some countries are taking in order to reopen their economies. As businesses reopen, they are rejigging the way they do things as well. Yeah, we've seen plexiglass shields used to protect workers from the public and vice versa. Masks has been brought in. People are keeping their distance. Some companies have new screening measures. And as we were telling you at 6.15, some companies are asking employees to download a smartphone app. That's right. Some countries are, in fact, implementing similar technologies in their battles with COVID-19 and the desire to reopen entire economies. A growing number of contract tracing smartphone apps deployed by both private companies and governments in more than 25 countries is in response to the virus, and it's sparking a global debate over privacy. Global's Jeff Semple joins us now, and Jeff did an incredible piece uh, on this, and I've shared that on uh, our Twitter account, my personal Twitter account, and I know Brett has uh, shared it as well on the CGOB account. Good morning, Jeff. Hi, good morning, guys. Great to be with you. It's always great to have you. Hey, contact tracing and testing, along with isolating potentially infected individuals, these are seen as a huge part of successfully reopening the economies of the world. Can you just, Jeff, give us an idea as to why these three things are so critical and that happening successfully? Right. Well, the, for the first one, testing is is pretty obvious, right? If you if you don't know who's sick, you you don't know who to treat. I think the, you know the World Health Organization earlier in this pandemic sort of described it as trying to fight a pandemic without testing is like trying to fight a fire blindfolded. You just don't know where the cases are. So you know you need to be testing people. But once someone tests positive, then the next key step in fighting this pandemic is asking that person for a list of their contacts. So, you know, who, since you started feeling sick, for example, and started developing symptoms in particular, who were all the people that you had contact with? You get that list and then traditionally, you know, it's been up to health workers and volunteers to pick up the phone and call each one of those contacts one by one to let them know that they might have had contact with someone who's infected and to let them know to watch out for symptoms and, and self-isolate. Um, but as you can imagine, guys, that is a very labor-intensive effort, and especially when we're looking at the number of cases uh, as we are with COVID-19. So this is why we're seeing these growing number of smartphone apps. There is an app for that, as they say. This, these apps automate that process. Um, but most of them work by using the GPS location of a smartphone so they can track a person. Uh, with it, with their phone, and then if that person suddenly be, tests positive for COVID-19, you can look back at their travel history and see anyone they might have had contact with by looking at the travel history of other smartphone users. So on the surface, it's you know it's a great weapon to help you know expedite this contact tracing, but of course it's also raising a host of privacy concerns because whether it's a business or a government, it means that you know this body, somebody is tracking the location of a lot of people. Yeah, it raises questions too, Jeff, because on the one hand, as you say, it could say, I might not be able to remember all the places I went, for example. So it can look back and say, you were at that grocery store, this gas station, stopped at this home or what have you. On the flip side, there'll be those who say, but are you using it to make sure I'm not doing all those things or I'm not stepping out of bounds? And so uh, are there any countries that are using this where you're seeing people fight back or push back against it? 
Yeah, we've seen that in the United Kingdom. We've seen that in Australia, where you know these apps were deployed, and you know people were concerned about how that data might be used. Now, the people who make most of these apps stress that you know the data is meant to be anonymous, but you know it's raising concerns nonetheless. And so, what we're seeing is you know is some is populations of some countries beginning to push back, and that's a problem because for these apps to work, according to some of the studies we've seen, a big one done out of Oxford that found that at least sixty percent of a population needs to use the technology for it to work effectively, right? So you have to have buy-in. And if there are serious privacy concerns, people are reluctant to download these apps, then that's a problem and basically undermines the effort altogether. We are seeing, you know, coming out of the out of um, a potential solution uh, coming our way now where we've got Google and Apple Two major smartphone manufacturers, of course, teaming up to build software support that would allow contact tracing apps to use Bluetooth technology. Uh, and that would remove the need for the GPS location piece. The Bluetooth technology would allow the phones to communicate basically with each other, but the data would remain on your phone and would be encrypted. We've seen some apps try to do this already, like the one that was just released in Alberta, for example. But without that sort of infrastructure support from Google and from Apple, these those apps that have tried this have had a lot of issues, technical problems. Uh, so Google and Apple, you know, putting together what could be a solution to help alleviate some of those concerns, and that software support is expected before the end of the month. Global's Jeff Semple joining us live on 680 CJOB. Jeff, thank you as always, sir. Thanks, guys. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, the theme song for In Living Color. Remember that show? We'll tell you why we're playing that in a second. Talking about this morning... Famous families after the news that Jerry Stiller has died at the age of 92. The comedian, of course, is the father of Ben Stiller. And lots of text messages, great suggestions at 204-780-6868, Greg. Yeah, well, maybe the best father-son acting duo I can think of comes from one of our listeners, Michael and Kirk Douglas. Great, great actors, both of them. They equally have the same abilities and the same entertainment value. So thanks for that at 204-780-6868. And then the reason why we're playing in living color, Mr. Shrek texting us at 204-780-6868 saying, what about the Wayans brothers? <laughs> and of course, they are all present in In Living Color, which is one of my favorite shows in the 1990s. Just listening to this theme song, man. I love this stuff. And that was back when Jim Carrey was James Carrey. If oh, you right. Yeah. right. And Jennifer yeah. Lopez was one of the Fly Girls. Remember that? Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Lots of great people were in that show. I forgot that there were, there was three Wayans. Is that right? Three brothers? Uh, there was uh, Keenan Ivory. Was that his name? Yeah. Uh, yeah. There was Damon. And uh, the DJ, SW1, was there. Was th- and there was four, I guess, because there was, is it uh, Marlon Wayans? There's Marlon. And then there are some of the sisters as well. Oh my God! Yeah, so like the, just the entire clan, the whole family, the Wayans brothers and <laughs> sisters, uh, bringing to the that was on Fox, I think. And here he comes. I'm just looking at Keenan coming out now in his bright '90s clothing. So I'm just going to turn that off now because it's just getting ridiculous. But keep those texts coming at two zero four seven eight zero sixty eight sixty eight. Your favorite famous families. And now we continue the conversation on how a popular ice cream joint in Winnipeg has closed its doors just days after reopening. BDI, as most of us call it, or Bridge Drive-In on Jubilee, was already six weeks behind schedule, Brett, when they opened their doors on Friday. But like many businesses, it was eager to try and see if it could make something work under public health guidelines for social distancing. Instead of asking customers to line up outside its shop, it asked them to stay in their cars and treat it more like a drive through Loren. So naturally, with many people just excited for something to do or a love of ice cream, they saw hundreds of customers. The the lineup of cars, as you were hearing in that news run with Jeff Braun, that lineup of cars along Jubilee also caused complaints on social media. So some people might have been upset about the cars idling if they were not shutting off, potentially blocking driveways or just slowing down traffic in general in the area. So in a statement yesterday, BDI said, Due to the outpouring of negativity regarding the drive through effective immediately, we will shut down the Jubilee location. Justin Jacob is the owner of BDI and joins us now. Good morning, Justin. Hey, good morning, guys. 
Well, thanks for taking the time to walk us through this because I, I was mentioning that you're one of those locations that we watch for each spring. That's the signal, the arrival of warmer weather and the summer ahead. And, and I'm curious how quickly it went on Friday and Saturday from the excitement of opening and seeing that huge outpouring of support to concern over the outpouring of negativity, as you called it. How quickly did you go from those two emotions? Um, well, Friday actually went really well. Like we were able to keep up uh, well on opening day uh, when we first set up the drive-through and uh, kept traffic moving and all that. But Saturday, we kind of knew, like um, from past experience with pedestrian traffic, even that Saturday and Sunday, uh, kind of between six and eight p.m. are our busiest times, our busiest ice cream times, and that's when we really seen kind of a backlog of traffic on Jubilee there. So that's when we kind of knew this idea is not going to work. Now, it's our understanding that some sort of a permit for a drive through might be required. Did you ever apply for one, or will you? Uh, we didn't. We actually looked up uh, some information on that, and we didn't, like, we called it kind of a drive through but it wasn't an actual um, drive through where easements and curbing and uh, things like that were set up. So it was all just very temporary. We were hoping um, we'd only have to do this till kind of the end of May type thing, and uh, it, we didn't, you know have a great grasp on how many people would actually make use of the drive-through concept because um, BDI, of course, is the bridge is a main component of uh, why a lot of people come to our store. So we thought if we eliminated that, there would be like a reduction in, in the number of customers, but there wasn't really. So it, it's uh, the plan, unfortunately, didn't work out as, as we had hoped. Yeah, I think a lot of people come to your establishment for the overall experience. They come for the walk as much as the ice cream, but but maybe we're dispelling that myth altogether here, Justin, based on what you saw on the weekend. So we know small businesses, and, and we've interviewed and visited with many of them who've adjusted their business plans and done whatever they needed to do in order to stay open in this difficult time. You're already several weeks behind from where you'd normally be. Is this going to slash into the the bottom line to a a point where where it's uncomfortable and a little bit uh, tight for you? Um, I I wouldn't say we're at that point yet, but um, definitely we're far behind because we have um, like a a number of operations. We have a Caldonan Place location that um, hasn't reopened yet. Uh, None of the the operators in the food court of that mall have reopened. Um, And we're not 100% sure when, when that will. And then, of course, we also have our mobile unit or truck, which um, due to the number of festivals and everything that have been cancelled, uh, that's not out and operational either. And there's no plans to uh, bring that out for the season yet, unfortunately. Um, but we are still working on another plan. Like we have a load of uh, excess ice cream now from uh, from the order that we placed uh, to get through kind of this week. So we're going to look and see if we can work out something with uh, Victoria General Hospital um, and a couple other places that we can do some more giveaways for healthcare workers. But um, we're going to see if we can kind of come up with a more pedestrian-friendly plan and eliminate the traffic. Our main concern is that uh, if we eliminate parking in our own parking lots, that parking is probably going to move out to Jubilee Avenue, and then we're going to be facing traffic issues all over again. So it's a pretty complex issue, unfortunately. Yeah, and in the area you're in, you only have so many options. And so we've gone to the city this morning, Justin, just to ask them, you know, what's their response. And they, they mentioned that they're trying to be flexible with so many businesses because they're trying to reopen like yourself in this really challenging time. And so they said in an email that staff would like to work with BDI to find models that would allow you to operate without posing any significant impacts to the local community. What that might look like, as you said, you're still trying to sort out but i'm curious given all that you've mentioned that you do do in the in the community and the work and even just the fact that you mentioned you want to get some ice cream to some frontline workers if you can were you surprised by any of the backlash and how it quickly went from you know people being so excited to being so upset given the very fact that you've been in that neighborhood for so many years um a little bit yeah it's a little bit discouraging because i mean there's there was even you know other small business operators that kind of threw in comments and it's you'd think you know that community would kind of stick together and support each other and support you know people trying to come up with ideas to try and be operational again but uh i I wouldn't say i was surprised as much as i was discouraged by some of the comments but i mean um you know online gives you a platform to kind of give your two cents and um we took some of that as constructive feedback and uh yeah we we're gonna look for uh, another way of doing things and um, make some positivity out of the situation as well. So, yeah. These other plans that you're working on uh, to potentially reopen in a more pedestri- pedestrian-friendly fashion, uh, any sort of timeline for that? 
Um, we're, we're already underway like yesterday when we couldn't open or decided not to open. We were already um, having discussions with the staff and, you know, some of the neighbours that had come by and talked to us. So um, there's not a set date or anything like that, but uh, we are we do have plans in the works already. So, yeah. Justin, what what was the the main reason for thinking? I mean, I know for me, I feel much more uh, comfortable staying in my own vehicle if I'm picking up groceries, or or a lot of the major retailers now are offering that curbside or uh, in parking lot uh, pickup situation, so you don't have to go into a store. But was it what was it for you that made you decide that uh, versus some of the other businesses like yours that are imploring or implementing uh, physical distancing and allowing people to line up versus uh, what you decided to to go to why did that model the vehicle in vehicle model uh, win out eventually um well it was all done for safety concerns yeah because we know um you know after running bdi for this be our seventh year now but uh we know that it, it can you know get pretty large gatherings of people of course and it's very hard to distance those people. Like I know there's people mentioning online, like uh, Costco distances people through their through um, their parking lot. But we have a very small parking lot of BDI, unfortunately. And um, like to have that many people gathering on site, it would be very difficult to for us to enforce uh, distancing measures amongst people. Um, we're kind of thinking back to that now and setting up some of actually the drive-through infrastructure that we have to uh, keep people separated using that, um, kind of using pylons and rope and stuff like that, and we'll, we'll get signage and stuff. That's kind of the way we're thinking. But, um, yeah, the the original plan, like the thinking behind that was always uh, customer and, and staff safety. Uh, my wife's actually a, a front frontline healthcare worker herself. She's a nurse practitioner. And um, the whole COVID thing, you know, had her very concerned as well, as it did everyone. And we just wanted to, you know, make sure that if you did come to our store, there would be no risk of people getting too close to each other, which on a normal BDI operating season wouldn't be a concern. But right now, um, we just didn't want to see that happen. Justin Jacob is the owner of Bridge Drive and joining us live on CJOB. Justin, thank you so much for the time. We appreciate this. Yeah, thank you, guys. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, freshly updated, hot off the presses, question of the day at cjob.com. Brought to you by Credit Aid, helping Manitobans get out of debt since 1992. Visit creditaid.ca, call 204-987-6890. If you had to work from home, would you be willing to let your boss install monitoring software to track what you're doing? Options are yes, if I'm on the clock, boss has the right to know. No invasion of privacy, or I'm an employer and I need this. Cast your vote at cjob.com. We'll get a version of that poll up on Twitter as well, at 680cjob. And that's what we're talking about coming up after Global News at 8.30. But we start this hour by with the reminder that it was about a month ago that the Manitoba Association of Women's Shelters asked us to help get out an important message. If you're experiencing family violence during this COVID-19 pandemic, you're not alone. And they asked us to share that because the association, which represents 10 provincially funded Manitoba shelters, well, it was getting fewer calls, seeing fewer families in shelters than normal. And the worry then was that people living with violence were weighing the risks of staying where they are in that high volatile situation versus going to get help, but then potentially putting themselves at risk of exposure to COVID-19, Greg. Yeah. So this morning we wanted to check in to see if anything has changed Dina Brock is the Provincial Coordinator for the Manitoba Association of Women's Shelters, and she joins us now. Good morning, Dina. Good morning. So we sure appreciated you joining us a few weeks ago. Good to have you again. Has there been any sort of return to, and I hate to use the word normal, but it's the most appropriate term here, with the number of calls shelters are seeing? Actually, I would say not really. We're, we're still seeing slightly less than normal, uh, especially in the rural shelters. We have some rural shelters that, um, as of Friday, were empty, which is very, very unusual. I've never experienced that in the years I've been working in this field, so it is unusual. Um, I, I think the message is, is slowly getting out there that, you know, there are people who really need to call the shelter. I think some people need to understand that... It, 
regardless of their situation, if they're uncomfortable, just call the crisis line and see, talk to the person who answers, the counselor can help them, you know, sort through their issues and decide whether they do have a safety risk or not. Um, So instead of, you know, waiting until you're really at a high risk, just call ahead of time. Uh, The other thing I wanted to mention too, is that I believe that um, people need to hear that the shelters are very much open. They offer a, a very low barrier lens for intakes. So we want people uh, to understand that if they are involved in sexual exploitation, that they're a victim of that. If they are um, part of the LGBTQ2S plus community, um, they're welcome to call the shelters and to get services you know, whatever they need to um, stay safe. So I think that message needs to be maybe passed along as well. But it's interesting that we're just a very slow uptake on numbers. And I do know that other agencies are starting to get calls. So I think it will start to increase, as you say, then get back to the normal. Now, when we last spoke to you, you mentioned you were concerned we could see a surge in family violence, domestic violence, because of all the additional pressures that uh, families are under right now. Is it possible that's not happening, or is it still that you're just maybe not quite hearing about it yet? I think people are still trying to figure out how to get out. Um, If you're stuck in a... um a house or an apartment under constant surveillance by an abuser, it's very hard to sneak out. So our expectation is that with the lessening of the restrictions that women or anybody who's in an abusive situation may be able to get out to the grocery store, may be able to get away for enough of a time frame to make a phone call, to make a run for it if necessary. So I think we will start to see an increase. It's it's slow, but I think it is starting. It's hard to imagine that scenario if you're not in it, but I know in interviews we've done in the past with yourself and, and also with people who have been uh, victimized by d- domestic violence, the, the window of opportunity, to, as we put it, is very slim at the best of times to find the, a, the, the time to leave, the courage, the place to go, the planning. And then in these times, if, if your spouse or the person who's abusing you is at, is at home and around you all the time because of the change in work-life situation, it can be nearly impossible. So the, there must be immense pressure on some of these women and families, Dina? Oh, absolutely. And and keep in mind, too, for some people, they're also trying to keep their children safe. So if you've got five or six kids at home plus yourself and you're trying to figure out how to coordinate and get everybody out safely, um, you know, there could be pets involved as well. It, it's, it's a huge undertaking and it's very scary. Just uh, maybe for those that have never uh, been listening when we're having one of these conversations, Dina, just outline for us some of the things, if we're on the outside looking in, that we could be looking for in order to perhaps lend a hand or to to quite right in a relationship with somebody that we care about. I think the, the main thing is to, you know, keep contacting the people that you normally contact. I know I've I've heard people say that right now they... You know, they're, they're so involved with whatever's happening in their own lives, they're forgetting to call their family and friends who they may suspect are in an abusive situation. So I think the first thing is very important to keep in touch with those people. Try to try to walk by, try to do that, um, you know, long-distance visit on the driveway, whatever, to make sure that they really are physically safe and okay. Um, the other piece is, you know, if, if you hear noise at your neighbor's house, go outside and and have a listen because maybe there is some kind of violence happening and the police need to be called. Um, So, you know, it's the awareness to to keep your eyes open for anything that you suspect might be a situation. I think most people in in neighborhoods anyway, they they probably have a good idea of uh, what's really happening with, with some of the neighbors. If somebody listening right now needs to reach out for help, how can they do so? Uh, we would appreciate it if they'd give the call a call to the 24/7 crisis number, which is 1-877-977-0007. There are also two text lines, um, which I don't have the numbers handy, uh, through Willow Place and Nova House that um, have just been implemented for the COVID-19. Uh, response. So th- there is a, a alternate way of reaching a shelter if it's needed just um, during the COVID-19. It's, it's a temporary, um, something that we've put in place temporarily, but we hope to 
see it happening on a more permanent basis in the future. Dina Brock is the Provincial Coordinator for the Manitoba Association of Women's Shelters, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Dina, thank you very much for this. Thank you very much. Well, when it comes to those working from home, Greg, that could be the reality. No privacy. No question about it. How do you have faith if you're an employer? How do you have faith your employees actually doing their job while working from their home office? It's one of many questions being asked in this new COVID-19 world as a growing number of people continue to work from home and potentially down the road choose to work from home. As we were telling you last week, you might recall this, the Bank of Montreal says that up to 80% of its staff could end up working from home a few days a week. And as more businesses consider that option, they're talking and taking a look at what tools will be necessary in order to make that work functionally, Loren. And what impact could that have on your privacy? Because one of the tools that's being considered by some employers already is this idea of employee monitoring software. And yes, that's a thing. It can be installed on an employee laptop or phone. And what it might do, for example, it might take a screen grab or screenshot of the different sites you're visiting, like maybe you're on social media platforms or shopping websites. And it can also be used to track your whereabouts. Hubstuff, which is one of the creators behind this type of software, told the New York Times uh, in an article over the weekend that demand during this outbreak for this type of technology has actually tripled. And it was Susie Urjevic Parker with Parker Strategy Group that actually tweeted about this over the weekend that got at our attention. And her review was succinct. I loved it. It was a, quote, hard no to this hellscape. So let's bring on Susie now. Good morning. And thanks for taking the time for being with us, Susie. Good morning. How's everyone today? We're good. I, I liked your reaction to this because I felt almost a sickening reaction to the idea of being tracked or monitored. But before you explain why it was such a hard no for you, can you give us a bit more detail about this type of technology? I know, for example, in, in different employees in the city and, and province, they might have GPS tracking devices on their vehicles for delivery services and that kind of thing. But this is going much farther than that. This isn't an individual in their home being monitored. How would it work? Right. So I think that we are, you know, kind of used to a slight invasion of our privacy when it comes to, like you said, GPS tracking and all those things on vehicles. Now, that being said, those are usually um, fleet vehicles, right, that are being tracked for um, delivery purposes or even just monitoring where employees are going during the day. And again, if you're using company vehicles to do that, I guess there's not really much that you can do about your privacy when it comes to those things. The thing that is really uh, kind of cringy about this particular case is that This is a software that you would have to have installed on your computer. Again, that could be a work computer. But with millions of us working from home right now during this uh, pandemic, one of the things that I've always said during this um, unprecedented time, and I hate to overuse that phrase, is that we're not necessarily looking at productivity right now. We are looking at the mental health of our employees, and especially for their families right now, for those who may have uh, immunocompromised people in their household or their children, this is not the time to start spying on your employees. Well, I mean, of course, there are all sorts of concerns. I mean, but even at work, like right now, I'm looking at my computer that has the big warning. There is no right to privacy on this system. Uh, So if you are on the clock, why would this not make sense? Yeah, I think it's one of those things that... Uh, you know, as we look at how people are using work from home and how productivity is going to be measured post-pandemic, perhaps, I think we need to really look at how we evaluated productivity in the beginning, in the first place. So we've sent people home with work with work computers. Again, that's workplace um, property that they've taken home. That's one thing if you wanted to install on that. When it comes to phones, though, not many people have work phones, per se, or you get that line that's blurred between personal and work phone use. How are we going to delineate that and decide what's being used for what and what that appropriate barrier might be depending on the person and their type of work? So I think that we're looking at, you know, obviously productivity is a huge factor in terms of your employees. But if you're looking at your productivity now, you're seeing already whether deadlines and work uh, expectations are being met. So how are you managing your team in this time when there's not a lot of face-to-face per se, 
um, in the office, but how are you connecting with your team to make sure that expectations and deliverables are being met for your workplace? Well, and I think that's something that's being measured all the time with or without technology with this, right? Are you but achieving is it the though? goals? Is it well, though, well, do you feel the need to put this in place is my question. Because oh, I yes. think if we're looking at if we're looking at software, there's always going to be ways. And you, if you read the New York Times article, by the end of this experiment, the author of the article, the journalist, was already looking at ways to uh, cheat the system, right? So do you really want to put in place a system that gives people the opportunity to spend more time finding out ways that they can avoid being checked by the system? Right. But if you uh, at your business every single day, you've got sales targets, you've got things that are measurables yeah. that are being measured without this. And as Brett points out, uh, if you're inside a building on a network, chances are you're already being watched to a great extent. You mentioned this New York Times article, Susie, here's the two sentences that uh, jumped out for me. With millions of us working from home in the coronavirus pandemic, companies are hunting for ways to ensure that we're doing what we're supposed to. Demand has surged for this software, as Loren mentioned, with programs not only tracking the things that Loren meant, uh, uh, mentioned, tracking the words we type, snapping yeah. pictures with our computer cameras, and giving, this is the one that, that had me shuddering, giving our managers rankings of who is spending too much time on Facebook and not enough on Excel. Like basically pure data that's right. uh, at, the, that's, at the fingertips of micromanagers who, who love this yeah. sort of thing, some of them. Yeah, and, and that's the thing that it boils down to, Greg, that word of micromanaging. And that I think that we need, if you're going to have a workforce that's working from home, you're likely not a micromanager anyway. If your company had a lot of people working from home before this, you were not involved in this type of monitoring because you just can't hold on to this type of thing long term. Now, the results of this particular um, experiment for this uh, author, journalist, basically showed that um, his productivity was not, was not being measured appropriately for what he did. So a lot of his time was connecting with sources and research and doing things like that. His productivity never went above 50% the entire time this program was being used. So if you put into place a program like this, you're managing the program then. You're managing the feedback from the program and you're going to ask people to say, well, the program says you were only working at 44% capacity last week. Can we talk about that? How much time are you going to waste doing that versus letting people really work towards deadlines, results, and being results-oriented? I think it also comes down to, and we just have a, about 30 seconds left here, Susie, the idea of the metrics that each different company might be using and what is defined as a hardworking day for one might not be defined as a hardworking day for another. So, for example, I'm, I'm suggesting, say, three hours on your computer for some positions might be all you need to put in a really good day, but that doesn't mean you're not doing other things as part of your job offline and, and vice versa. Some people need to have eight, nine, 10 hours before their, their work is actually done. And so the one size fits all approach is, is not going to fit for everyone. Absolutely. And I think that if anything, uh, post-pandemic and even during this pandemic, companies really need to reevaluate what it is that they measure and how they find value in their results and deliverables. Susie Urjavec Parker with Sparker Strategy Group joining us live on 680 CJOB. Susie, a pleasure as always. Thank you. Thanks, all. It is time. Wishing I was fishing. We've been doing this for two weeks. We have found a qualifier every day on the start for the last two weeks. A $6,000 grand prize from Winnipeg Custom Countertops and Cabinets. And this comes with a weekend at Q Lake Lodge up on Quinell Lake. Three-night stay for up to six guests. Includes guided fishing on a boat and a whole bunch of stuff from the fishing hole. This is an angler's dream getaway. So let's uh, make a phone call here. Hey, Forte, just turn that down so the phone number doesn't go out over the air. All right, let's just make the call. Do, 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 do. I promise to never do that again. All right, it's ringing. <laughs> Hello. Good morning, is that Andrea? Yes, it is. Hello, Andrea. It's Mackling, Hi. McGarry, and McNabb from 680 CJOB. Oh, good morning. How are you? I'm hoping to see super duper excited. <laughs> Greg, do you want to have the honors? Oh my God! <laughs> Are you kidding me? You Congratulations! Oh my God! <laughs> Are you serious? 
serious, Andrea. You're the winner. You are the winner of wishing I was fishing. Oh. Andrea, we have to ask last week you were you were so excited just to qualify last week, but you mentioned something about actually being an angler and, and your father potentially got you into this. Can you give us a bit of a history? No. Um some of my favorite memories was going to Lockport for an entire day and fishing off a shore and my dad constantly untangling my line and me taking silly little pictures and one of the pictures I remember was it was a piece of driftwood that looked like a fish and I pretended it was a real fish and I got my dad to take a picture of me with my wooden fish. Oh wow. <laughs> this is crazy. That is, this is great. <laughs> Have I'm you, like shaking. You have no idea. Andrea, have you ever been up to that part of the province for uh, around yeah. Lake Lodge? I've been up to that part of the province and around the area. It's absolutely gorgeous and so untouched. There's so much up there. Well, Andrea. I'm so excited for you, Andrea. Oh, oh my gosh. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, Andrea Watkinson, we congratulate you and we thank you thank for you. playing. Uh, we are so happy that you're happy with this oh, awesome prize. Oh, no idea. It's my mom and dad's anniversary. Happy anniversary, mom and dad. Oh, dad, happy oh, birthday. My. This is your 70th birthday present. I love you. <laughs> Andrea, thank you so much for this. Congratulations, okay? Thank you. All right. I'm going to put you on hold. I've just got a couple of questions for you off the air. But yes, yes. Andrew. so great. So exciting. And, and I, I, I had a sense. I was going to ask her that question, but Loren, I had a sense that you would be on top of that, asking about her dad. Well, as soon as she said that last week, like, first of all, we all love it when our contest winners are excited like that, right? And she was so Jones just to win the mug and, the, and qualify last week. And then she mentioned something casually about... Oh, about how she better be an angler because her dad would be so mad if she wasn't. And then here she is with the news. It's their anniversary and I think her dad's birthday and the whole family is going to go fishing. And if there's an extra spot, I will be there too. No, I'm kidding, Andrea. But it's just a terrific prize. I, I love the whole story. So once again, a $6,000, $6,000 grand prize, Andrea, courtesy of Winnipeg Custom Countertops and Cabinets. Thank you to Winnipeg Custom Countertops and Cabinets and to the Fish and Hole, providing a whole bunch of cool stuff. Uh, Shimano rods, and there's Lowrance Fish Finder and Sonar. There's Angler's Edge Mapping, Premium Hydrography, Rain Suit, Fillet Dives, Cutting Board, Miscellaneous Tackle and Gear, and more. And... It's an angler's dream getaway. Andrea, congratulations to you. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think. And hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG. That's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global. And on Instagram, at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.